The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. One day in March, I got a blast on my phone. It was in early March that said um, Santa Clara Valley was going to shut down. uh, The whole county was going to close its schools, its elementary, its secondary, its community colleges, etc., the following day because of the of the COVID-19 crisis. We thought it might be in the initial implementation a week because they needed to deep clean, whatever that means, the schools. Well, <laughs> they're not going back to school now until maybe July, maybe in the fall. So from one day to another, from one day to another, our kids and their teachers had to learn how to finish the school year on Zoom. Our guest today, Pamela Donnelly, aptly says, education is not the most agile system. It doesn't change well. So we're going to spend the next little while talking with Pamela about what are the consequences of this interruption in the education of our children um, in terms of both those kids who are two years, three years away from either applying or entering college, and also what's the implication? This former classroom teacher knows only too well this entrepreneur who wants to expand the opportunities for um, kids, for less fortunate kids to um, have the same type of opportunity to get into a really good college. You know, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And what do you as parents need to know? This is the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them, which is especially why I wanted to have Pamela come and have this conversation with us. Her specialty, after 20 years or so in the classroom, is in founding and being the executive uh, chair of the Valley Prep Tutoring Service and the Gate College System. She's a number one best-selling author and keynote speaker, a graduate of Columbia University, the author of two books, one that has a great title, two, the second one she thinks is more valuable for your kids and for you as a parent. Her first book was called SWAT Team Tactics for Getting Your Teen into College, and it was the number one on Amazon's bestseller list in education. Her second book, Four Keys to College Admission Success, really does drive down into what your child has to do to be successful. And these are really good lessons, not just in succeeding in in getting into the college of your choice, but being a successful person. They're They're really quite basic. 
Pamela has been featured and interviewed by many of the most prestigious publications in America, including Time Magazine, The New York Times, NBC, ABC, CNN, and more. She's committed to serving and championing, championing <laughs> it's Saturday afternoon, uh, underserved populations. And that's especially one of the reasons I think what you're gonna hear from Pam is so important. Um, she is presently completing her PhD at Pepperdine University and writing her dis dissertation on college access in the digital age. If you wanna learn more, you can find, you can visit valleyprep-tutoring-all-one-word.com or pamela-donley.com and you will find those in the comment section on ricochet.com um, and c-suite-network.com, I'm sorry, c-suite-radio-network.com so that you don't have to rush and get a piece of paper. Pamela, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to spend some time with us um, and, and talk about this really important subject. Um, as I said in the intro, you know, it was like an overnight experience that we went from the classroom to Zoom. I mean, teachers did not have any time to prepare any lessons plans. Many teachers don't have the training or the skills to do distance learning effectively. Yeah, thank you. It's wonderful to be here, Joyce. Listen, it's very true that um, our education system is slow to adapt to the changes. You know, many of us for 10, 20 years or longer have seen the writing on the wall as digital disruption has come in to so many sectors, right? We think about Uber, we think about Airbnb, we think about disruption. You know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have imagined that hotels would have had a competitor, that taxi cabs would have had competitors. Well, now we're in a time that education technology is um, not just a trend or a question mark, it is an absolute requirement. And, and as you rightly said, it's so unfair to educators who have been trained. But the question that I would ask as we kick off is, have our teachers been trained in the ways that they require to be effective uh, with students when they are not able to physically be in proximity to those students? We're talking about two entirely different skill sets. I've been a classroom teacher, and I'm also the founder of an educational technology program and curriculum. These are just like apples and oranges. So you make a really important starting point, which is how can we expect teachers overnight? I would almost say it's abusive of those teachers to put them in a position to say, okay, you're going to be in your one room apartment or wherever you live. Your own kids are going to be in the next room. Your, your partner, your dog, who knows what's going on around you. Now lock yourself in that closet and spend the next seven or eight hours doing something that we haven't trained you to do because the students who are able to afford the Wi-Fi and whose parents do have devices, which as we know isn't all of them, are gonna be relying on you. And the pressure that puts on our teachers is incredibly unfair. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I think, because especially in a district like ours, uh, where you have many teachers who have been teaching for 20 years, they do have some technology tools in the classroom, uh, but they are mainly support to help you do the children do the homework 
um, rather than actual teaching. You know, I know both my grandkids have, they get a lot of their math online, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's one program that they've taught these teachers. It is not like your lesson plan and the interaction that you need to have with the kids and being able to see their um, their work and whether or not they're following what you're what you're teaching. So, you know, I guess one of my questions is is what are we losing in this improvisation? I mean, I give every teacher tons of credit for manfully trying to get this done. Uh, and under these circumstances, but what are we losing in this improvisation? And is it more acute for younger students or, you know, middle school and high school kids? We are losing the 20% of U.S. citizens who don't have access, you know, the assumption that a kid has a, a MacBook Pro and, and, uh, reliable Wi-Fi is not true. Many, many, one in five students in America does not have those things. They may live in a family that has one shared older cell phone or one, not maybe not even a smartphone. They don't have access to the types of technology. We're losing the, the very first piece of uh, educational technology uh, engagement, which is motivation. Uh, you have to motivate a student. And so motivation and inspiration have to precede information. Um, you can't inform a student of an objective that you want them to have by the end of a lesson if you haven't motivated them to care. And that is a skill set that has to be taught through, um, you know, very mindful training, you know, adult training of the teachers. Um, without that, they are going to struggle mightily because they can have, you know, Canvas or Blackboard or, or one of these portals that they log into. You know, most of the trainings that teachers have is in grade books. You know, all of that has gone online. Every high school in America has mm -hmm. an online, um, you know, program and they go on and they enter their grades and it calculates the GPA and all of that. But, but instruction, uh, pedagogy, these are entirely different things. And um, I dare say that the old let's hand out some worksheets and keep the kids busy model doesn't because kids, all they have to do is check out and walk away. They can even be in a Zoom meeting and click. They can be doing anything. They can be playing on their phones. There's no way to check whether they're engaged. Uh, these are major problems. Yes, there is no way to check whether they're engaged is to me, seen, sounds to me like Problem number one, even if the teacher is trying to engage them by grabbing a kid here and there and saying, uh, George, you know, uh, answer the que this particular question I'm posing to you, etc. We don't really know. And these kids, one of the things that concerns me, like you, I'm very concerned about the 20% of kids who don't have access. And we've seen on television, um, schools, school systems giving out, you know, pet tablets to kids. Um, at, thank you, Apple, for really stepping up in that area. Um, but if they don't have the Wi-Fi and they don't have the parents at home to help them uh, set that up, um, we're, we're not making an assumption that that education is going to have any value. And how, by the way, speaking of GPAs, 
how are you going to grade these kids? Are you going to give them final exams? No. And in fact, if you asked the question about high school and middle school level, um, the stakes are high at all levels. Um, elementary is incredibly important foundationally. But as you know, um, by the time students are in ninth through 12th grade, uh, they just recently have put the AP exams online. What used to be a multi-hour test is now 45 minutes, not proctored, online. Um, you know, word on the street among admissions deans and, and my colleagues, <clears throat> excuse me, in back channels where I, you know, live and breathe. Um, you know, there's going to be a big giant asterisk next to any score. Um, the College Board is trying to hold on to, even though they're a nonprofit, what you might almost think of as market share because they compete against the ACT and they own the AP exam. And so they've quick, they rushed out there with this online thing. The colleges are looking at it like wink, nudge. Yeah, right. Meanwhile, the schools are going, well, we're just going to do pass fail on the credit cards. This is incredibly that would talk about a crestfallen moment for a junior who has been working so hard all year to hit a five, a legitimate five on an AP Euro exam. And they're, they're now they're going to get this little anemic experience. Even if they hit the five, it's not going to mean as much because there's no way to tell if it was proctored, legitimate or anything else. Um, and then now we're going to, you know, have students with GPAs that can't be spiked upward because pass-fail means they don't get the weighted 5.A or 4.B averaged into the GPA. So this is a, the, the knotted uh, situation that we're in has many, many, it's like a big bundled up piece of yarn that is gonna take so, it, it's gonna be years just with what's happened already um, for us to realign calendars, you know, the May 1st decision date for colleges has moved back in a lot of schools to June 1st. I've been seeing the craziest things, Joyce. You wouldn't believe kids getting off wait lists because the international kids now aren't going to be coming in because their parents are concerned and afraid and et cetera. So we've got kids with lower GPAs getting into schools like uh, I heard just uh, this morning, um, I probably shouldn't name schools, but some of the major ones in the UC system and some of the top 10 non-IV um, schools as well, letting kids in off the wait list that probably wouldn't have gotten in otherwise, but they're looking at their yield numbers and saying, wow, I better do something to make sure I have people who are willing to come here in the fall. And even the question, will there be school in the fall in colleges or uh, K through 12 is still, I think, in some states, um, looming as a question mark. I don't think we can assume that that's a yes. I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think we can assume it. I know that um, the UC system has said uh, there will be no in-person lectures. You, I do remember fondly 400 kids sitting in a, in a lecture hall <laughs> at one time. Um, but there, there will be laboratories, in-person laboratories. How are you going to make that work? Um, number one, it's, it's got to be um, a really great business for the note takers because, again, you won't really know if the kids are there. Um, and if in the laboratories, how are you going to do things like maintaining social distance, et cetera, if these kids are living in dormitories to only go to the campus a couple days a week. I mean, this, you know, this is a very, uh, and it's going to be a last second decision because we don't really know. 
you're describing that sort of um, death by a thousand paper cuts <laughs> that uh, we really need to be careful about here. I, I would propose, you know, as someone who's really thinking a lot about policy, um, you know, certainly in my, my dissertation that I'm working on right now in my doctoral program, that we need to step back. And, and you know, I understand that sometimes the immediate and the urgent is going to take precedence, but we now need to take a very big step back and from a macro level, look at what role does and should technology play in public education in the United States of America? That is a very big question. Um, I was at the U.S. Department of Education last year um, with a sort of a task force, a group uh, from our industry, and we met with someone who was the head of a very small division at the U.S. Department of Ed. They actually have a division, believe it or not, called the Educational Technology Division. I think it's like three people in a cubicle in the back left corner or something, but it's there. Uh, but they, they're, the amount of non-investment that we have seen in this, as rather there has been investment into, you know, charter schools and uh, other, other ways of thinking about um, how to distribute the justice of equitable education um, is these are really important times for big thinkers, big picture thinkers to step back. Um, I really love um, our mutual colleague Martha Cantor's vision uh, with what they're doing at College Promise. And I think there are many others like that, nonprofits that are trying to step in and solve the problems that, frankly, the government should be doing. Um, so we're at a place now where, you know, we, we have to ask these very big, uh, very hard questions, but we can't let ourselves get mired down in death by a thousand paper cuts because we can start talking about what about labs? What about this? What about that? How about like, let's take the big step back and look at those large uh, systemic issues. I think you're absolutely right, because as Winston Churchill said, a crisis is, you know, it's just too great an opportunity to lose. Um, and yes, Martha and I had a communication earlier today about, you know, it is way past time. Uh, I think you're going to agree with this, th that we rethink education from beginning to end, from pre-K all the way through this, you know, push this, this vision of the four-year college. Um, and, and in, in two ways, in three ways, one, one to make it more realistic to, to take advantage of what we didn't have 50 or a hundred years ago in the model, which is still the model we're using, uh, in terms of technology and access and transportation and the, the critical needs to teach kids how to think critically early. Um, and also the fact that Let's face it, you and I are not doing today what we thought we were going to be doing at the beginning of our careers. No, of we've course all not. been through, no, we've all been through multiple iterations and, and still are. And so education is a lifelong thing and we don't think about it that way. And, and you're absolutely right. We don't think about how do we integrate technology? How do we make education um, useful and also compelling. Important questions. You know, um, integration is an important word here because, you know, bolting on technology to the old model of doing things uh, makes no sense here, right? You you can't right. 
take, you know, um, new wine and put it in old wineskins, as the saying goes. You can't, yeah. you know, take technology and just say, okay, well, we're still going to do all this other stuff, but now we're just going to throw technology solutions on top of that. I think that the integration and the thinking about education and the equitable access that we all agree needs to now come into the fore, that has to happen um, not just at the federal level, but also at the state and local district level. And so, you know, what I've spent the last several years doing is going to conferences and speaking with superintendents, thinking about even at the state level, talking to stakeholders in the nonprofits that are in this college admission space, et cetera. You're right, from, um, from pre-K all the way to uh, postgraduate degrees, um, there is going to be a, a re-envisioning whether, you know, whether this old creaky system likes it or not, it's buckling under the weight of its own um, inability to move into the new age. It's, it's ironic that something as, as um, upsetting and disruptive as, as the coronavirus has been what it took for all of us in the education space to really reassess, okay, wait a minute, guys, what are we doing here? Why is it important that students spend an hour every day in the morning and an hour every day in the afternoon on a bus going back and forth to a physical building? Um, what is the carbon footprint of that? What is the how? What is the what are the ripple effects of the things that we assume? Well, it's always been that way, so it's always going to be that way. Um, what is the fallout of having a kid always at home? We don't want those kids isolated. We need teachers' eyes on them. We need them to you know be safe in some cases from their own family members in their own homes. Um, the, the stories that are coming out um, about students who are hungry because their only good meal they were getting was when they would get a meal at school and they're lining up at their local schools just to get a bag lunch and hurry to go back into quarantine because that's, they relied, their family relied on that. So it's so much more than just theory and, oh, well, darling, isn't it? Oh, isn't it just terrible what's happening in the such situation today? It's, these are real kids. These are real lives. And they deserve real solutions. Technology needs to be integrated as part of that. I think you're absolutely right. But I think that the, one of the really important things in that sentence is as a part of it. Agreed. It's not, it's not an either or. Oh, yeah. um, it's a both. It's a both. And, you know, there, it's, a, it's a conversation for a different day. But I find it truly alarming that uh, as many as 25 or 30 percent, and some people say 40 percent, of children in California are food insecure. Mm-mm-mm. How can that be, and how did they learn in that circumstance? You know, like I said, I think that's a conversation for a different day, but I think it's one that needs to be had um, as we look at this whole, it's a related conversation. But if we go back, we've got two problems here. One is, you're absolutely right, we now need to integrate the use of technology and make that available to every child. Uh, equally. But we also are faced with, we've got kids who are, who've lost half a school year. Um, we're not going to make that transition between now and this fall. No. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. Okay. So what are we going to do in order to make sure, let's say, 
I'll be a little parochial here. Let's say that you have a high school sophomore and you want to make sure that they have the choice to stay at home and go to community college or, you know, get into a good four-year school in two years. What are the, what are the things that teachers are going to have to think about in September uh, or as, as Governor Newsom is suggesting in late July? Oh, my uh, God. I couldn't believe cover. <laughs> well, I mean, I well, he's closing. <laughs> wow. He's, I, I think he's done, I think he's done a masterful job. He's wonderful, uh, but he's never been a teacher and that's obvious. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah. it, oh. we'll just send him back a month early and that'll make up for it. No, he's a, he's a parent of four. He wants to get him out of the house. Um, and, Funny. and. Uh, yeah, well, he keeps, you know, if you listen to his briefings, he keeps saying, you know, I'm a parent too. I know. <laughs> and he does. He has elementary school kids. Uh, in fact, I think some of them aren't even old enough for school yet. Um, anyway, to make a long story short, what are we going to do? Um, you know, and this is really close to your your field, uh, your experience as a classroom teacher and also your your passion about not leaving 20% of the kids behind, but what are we going to do to make up for what we know is half a lost uh, school year? I mean, I, I thought about it being a third, and then I thought, no, when you really think about it, it's half the school year. What are well, we going to do? I would say that the closest thing that we have to this, if we wanted to have some type of point of reference, is that there are um, summer bridge programs that have existed, uh, you know, historically. Um, these are made for what's called summer melt. And the idea being that, you know, students do when they, when they don't have year round school as they do in many parts of the world. And we just assume, okay, 10 weeks, you're just gonna stop doing anything and you're gonna go work on your suntan and then you're gonna come back. You know, the, it, it's proven that in research that, that there are always point losses for students who don't keep themselves sharp across the summer. So summer melt, especially for eighth and to ninth has been an important thing because that is where a lot of the lower income students that you're talking about, they drop out to go work for their parents' businesses or they look for, they, they begin looking for work because they're just old enough to you know be to go out in the fields and help with agriculture or to help at a store or whatever and um and of course the interrupted possibility of a, an aspiration to a, a more lucrative lifestyle is is the cost of that so um i think that we can think about summer bridge programs i don't think it's that school starts uh, respectfully to the governor in july but i think there can be summer bridge programs using technologies um, you know, I, I can't predict what's going to happen with quarantine. And I know for myself and my own family, we're going to be the last ones coming out of quarantine. We're, we're, we definitely have, you know, thought deeply about this. Uh, we don't want to risk any, we don't, you know, it's like, well, I'm sure it's fine. Well, we're not going to, we want to know that it's fine. And so we're going to be yeah. hunkered down in Langlo until we know that it's fine until there's the tail end of this thing has played out. And that's, you know, probably weeks or months down the road at the least. So oh, no, um, I completely agree with you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm gosh, you know, and I feel so bad for the kids who, you know, what about our homeless kids who are out in the street? Like, what about them? I just could, you know, it's just heartbreaking, you know? 
Well, yeah, they are, I know the governor has made efforts, but um, the problem, especially in Los Angeles County, is so big. How do you fix mm -hmm. it? Okay. Well, School on Wheels is doing a good job. Uh, that's one nonprofit that I support that I really like, School on Wheels. But there are, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits that have had to spring up precisely because the federal and state governments aren't doing what I think is their job to do, which is to provide what's needed in the first place. So, you know, I, I, I appreciate nonprofits and their role in our society, but um, I, I just feel like we're trying to, you know, spackle, like stick our finger in a million different holes in the dam, hoping that the water doesn't come through. It's like the water's now coming through and we have to do more. We have to actually do something more robust here to, to make sure that everyone gets what they need. Yeah, and it's going to be increasingly challenging because I think your caution about emerging from quarantine and mine, and I know my family as well, um, we're not, with the exception of the teenager, really anxious to step out there. Um, but um, there are going to be some really deep cuts mm -hmm. um, in, in public education as in other things. Uh, because the money's not going to be there. The employment situation is going to be really fraught, even for these kids who at ninth grade, for example, look at, gee, do I want to go work in the fields like my parents, or do I want to stay in school? Um, yeah, the economics are a big driver. The economics are a big driver, and, and all the, the impediments that we've talked about in the last 20 minutes or so are also a driver. One of the things that always worries me is when we keep talking in the national, in national politics about, well, every kid has to have a four-year college education. If you come from one of those underserved communities and you say your only route out of, you know, your current situation is four years of college, I mean, it's just, it's incomprehensible to them. You know, we need to do a better job of helping beginning in the ninth, even before the ninth grade to, to, to demonstrate to these kids that there are other paths in life uh, that can make them more successful, that their parents would be supportive of because they could see the light at the end of a shorter tunnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, career readiness is, is definitely trending. The federal government put, you know, a billion dollars or more behind a career readiness initiative just in the last 18 months. Um, some saw that as a counter move against the four-year college readiness pathway because, you know, basically larger districts like Houston, LAUSD, New York City, um, were being incentivized to put their efforts and aim their staffing toward career readiness. And I'm, and I'm with you. I don't think everyone, listen, I mean, I make my living as an independent college consultant who also oversees a tutoring agency. So when I'm working with families, a couple things are assumed. Usually mom and dad both have college degrees. Um, the child is probably in a private school. And if they're in a public school, it's not because they don't have the money to be able to also afford my services, my tutoring services, et cetera. And, you know, as a result of that, I'm able to share the strategies in the books you mentioned earlier and help them get into the right colleges. My vision has always been 
allowing a technology to put that same information out there for every student anywhere um, at an affordable price point so they could access it. And in a perfect world, the federal government would just provide it. So, um, you know, when I created um, Gate, so openthegate.us is the URL for that. You know, it, it's a technology that I've, I've shared it with the federal government. I've shared it at the federal student aid office. I've talked to state governments. I've talked to districts about it. And up until this quarantine, there's always been a, well, you know, we've always done it this way. We have counselors, the kids come in, they get 38 minutes a year. That's how we do it. It's like, yeah, but that ain't working. So I, I kind of joked with one of my investors, but I said, you know, maybe we were just early to market with Gate College System because what we did with that was try to solve at least the college counseling part of it for every kid um, and written in a way with videos and things like that that make it fun so that even a kid who's not from a fancy family feels like this is approachable and they know what they should be doing. I think that that's a really important part of what you're offering um, more to this larger group than to the kids who you individually tutor who have had every advantage. Yeah. Um, I haven't tutored, and, any, but yeah, my consulting, you know, I mean, they're, they're generally paying five to 10 K a pop to work with me. They're working with my tutors. They're, they're spending about the same for that separately. You know, it adds up and you know, it's a business yeah. model that, that I've built to be able to sort my family. I, I don't feel bad about it because frankly, the amount of hours and years and time and love and sweat and tears I've poured into gate to be able to help the other population while also volunteering and giving that away through nonprofits, which I've been doing for years now, you know, that's all part of my, my give back. Um, you know, uh, we all, we all deserve to be paid for our expertise. Um, and we all have an obligation to pay forward, you know, what, what has been given so freely to us. So I'm a first generation kid myself. I want to give, to first-generation kids who grew up in families like mine that don't know how to help them. Yeah, um, and you have no idea what what an advantage. Well, you do, but you know, for listeners, um, it is a huge advantage to grow up in a household where you have two parents who are college educated, so that um, and and who are willing to sacrifice whatever. Uh, is legally and morally available to do the very best for your children. And not everybody, even, even people who are less fortunate, want to do the right thing for their children. We haven't built a system for them that um, facilitates that. And, and I say that um, with the full belief that the right answers will come from organizations like the gate college system rather than from within the the academic um educational in, uh, uh, establishment yeah no uh, it's going to take entrepreneurs um taking the risk lighting the way leading the charge you know hey everybody fall in line let's let's go solve this problem together um you know i know when i talked to martha who we were just mentioning um, you know, she, she realizes the same thing that we've been talking about, which is that the, the size of the problem is so large that at scale, without the right um, either technology or some type of curricular sort of rallying cry, it's, you're going to have, it's going to be like herding kittens. You can't, they've got 300 cities, I think, with College Promise. How are they going to do that without a technology or a curriculum around which to provide that support, especially if there are further 
things that put people into quarantine, which from what I'm hearing in the news is possible and even likely. So we, yeah. you know, we, do, we do have to have technology to support these objectives. So if we, you know, I, I think we have enough material here for a couple more conversations, maybe what including Martha. Um, but in the immediate months ahead, because that's all any of us can plan for at this point, if we can plan even for that. I mean, I'd give my eye teeth for a haircut right about now. Um, um, well, <laughs> uh, but what do parents need to know in terms of being supportive of their children, whether they're, you know, at that sophomore level looking forward to college um, or they're younger or to be really honest, these seniors who suddenly the that best time of your life, you know, that those weeks surrounding high school graduation. Today, I am an adult, um, or at least a semi-adult, um, have been just vanished, robbed, just didn't happen. Uh, so what do parents need to do and what do parents need to be prepared for uh, hmm. as, we, as we move forward in the next few months, maybe the next couple of years of off and on um, sudden quarantine? Ooh, um, I think the number one priority has to be the well-being emotionally and psychologically of our children. So I think as parents, we need to make sure, we need to check in, really do a serious pulse check on how is my, how is my young person doing in this situation because as stir crazy as the adults are, the kids are being, as you said, robbed of rites of passage, of the need for fresh air, the need for social time, the need for all of the norms that have now been ripped away. So really mm -hmm. intentionally um, checking in with them, seeing if they might need some support. I know some parents are working uh, with teletherapy, um, you know, bringing in professionals to help their young people. So they have someone other than mom and dad, even if it's once a week for an hour on Zoom, they're doing therapy sessions to support uh, psychological distress and things like that. In terms of the step-by-step, -step, what they need to be doing, um, I can share some gifts. Uh, with any of your listeners. First of all, um, there's a whole tab on valleyprepstutoring.com called Gifts. If you go there and click, you can download for free um, some really important information. Um, I have a virtual college tours list, over 900 colleges, links to, that. your kids can basically tour these colleges um, in on an Excel spreadsheet that's already been laid out for you, that's available there for you for free, um, as well as uh, some really important trainings on demonstrated interest and other things that uh, you know, as I'm working with you, I, I use some of these, but I also just give this away for folks who maybe can't afford it, but I want them to be able to have it. So you can grab that. Um, and the other gift that I'm happy to share is uh, copies of my ebook. Um, so that Four Keys to College Admission Success is available as a PDF ebook. Uh, from time to time, when I do podcasts like this, I will uh, share those with listeners who want to reach out to me. Um, so uh, anyone who would like to receive that, um, can reach out uh, through you, um, or they can reach out through my website. There's a contact us page on PamelaDonnelly.com, P-A-M-E-L-A-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y.com. I'm not trying to give a sales pitch. It's all free, y'all, but uh, you can come and uh, I'll give you <laughs> no, a free copy of my book. 
you know? It, it's helpful to people because parents right now are somewhat bewildered. I'm but happy to help. Where, you know, just as a final question, if the parents, here we are, we're sitting here not knowing what's going to happen. Um, if the option of summer bridge programs is available, and that's one of the things I know it's under discussion in California, is that something, you know, I mean, parents go, oh, the kids need a break. I, I don't really know that they do. I'm not sure that when you and I were young that we got, you know, that such a long summer break. Um, but but are those, high, those, especially for high school kids, are those summer bridge programs going to be worth what in some households will be an argument um, in order to help them not to lose the opportunity, um, you know, in their junior years to, to see their GPAs improve, um, <clears throat> to make up for some of what's been lost? Is that, is that a reasonable solution or should we just, wait to see what state by state the states want to do it, it's not a true statement that summer bridge will impact gpa because it won't these aren't accredited courses um, we have to do no harm and make sure that it is physically safe given the the pandemic for students to assemble if that is what is being recommended but if we're talking about the momentum and motivation and um, those elements, I do think that it can be very worthwhile, whether that's online or whether that's in person will be geographically determined. Um, but I, 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 I personally have always been a proponent of um, later start because teenagers hate getting up at six in the morning. Um, and you know, the Australian system is a really good example. It's quote unquote year round, but they get as much time off as our kids do, but it's spread out. It's a couple weeks at Christmas. It's a couple weeks in the summer. It's a couple weeks, you know, uh, here and there. So as opposed to one long stretch where the brain slowly goes into, you know, the state of inertia. Yeah. I, I, I would think that, you know, a 12 month school year, um, would be a good thing. Um, and um, I have a friend who's a former secretary of education in South Carolina who says when they tried that in South Carolina, the kids were not, were not up against it. Their parents were hmm. for reasons which I can't grasp. But um, in, in closing, I, I think this has been valuable. It's been helpful for parents, um, whether, um, whether their uh, children are being um, directly, well, all, all their children are being directly impacted, um, and, but whether or not they're younger or, or closer to um, college. But you believe that the colleges will um, find ways to um, take into account this lost year or lost I think, half yeah, year. I, I think they're going to have to, but I also think that we're going to start seeing closures. I think the third rail here is that some of the smaller liberal arts schools are going to be closing because they don't have 
they don't have the endowments to survive this. They're tuition dependent and the numbers are going down no matter which way you look. So uh, another conversation for another day is the higher education industry and where that's heading, test optional, uh, where that's heading. I mean, there are a lot of pieces, like I said, to this knotted ball of yarn. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Pam. You're always a wealth of knowledge and we I will look forward to having that conversation about the college, the, the whole educational industry. Um, and also uh, a conversation that really focuses around, you know, how do we open opportunity for kids who for too long have been marginalized? How do we use that as part of an overall national reinvention to, um, to close that wealth gap? Here, here. I'm waving my red, white, and blue flag as you say it. Let, let's hope for a better day. Uh, I, let's hope for better days. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a really fascinating conversation, Joyce. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.